Amen. Well, I love to hear you singing to our Savior God. And that last song we sang, we were just singing, I love your presence. You know, he loves yours too. And as we go into the book of Luke today, that's why God invites us to a feast of forgiveness. Because he loves to spend time with his people, and he loves to make the way for us to be at that feast. And in fact, the passage that we're looking at today, out of Luke chapter 22, we have come to the feast itself. This is the moment that we know as the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we call it communion. You may have even heard the word Eucharist, which just comes from the Greek, which means to give thanks, because that's what Jesus says at this meal. And when we think about forgiveness, that's what we do. And so as we read this passage this morning, I want you to look at this tool that we've been using the last few weeks, this idea of using the word pacer as a tool for reading the Bible so that when we finish a passage, it's more than just, okay, I guess I know what happened in those verses, but that these actually help us to begin to apply it along the way. Are there promises that God is making in the passage that we can take hold of? Actions to follow? Specific commands to obey? Are there examples to imitate or not imitate? Because Judas was at the Last Supper too, right? Is there rebellion to repent? Things in our own hearts that go the opposite direction of where God might be leading us. So think through those as we read this. Maybe jot a couple notes. And then there's one in particular that we're going to really dive into this morning. So we're in Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 14. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's a promise. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said... Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The same promise. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So as we read this passage, as we read this moment in the life of Jesus with his followers, you hear a couple of promises. You can kind of pick out the rebellion of Judas, an example you wouldn't want to follow. But in the midst of this, there is one specific command that he gives us. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So what is so important about remembering? Well, it might be easier to think about what is so dangerous about forgetting, right? So I'll bet this has never happened anywhere in the room because we are so careful because we know how dangerous it would be if you forgot your anniversary, right? If you forgot Mother's Day or Father's Day or a birthday, what happens if you forget to follow up with that client? Just check in case anyone's sending an email real quick, okay? Or if you forget a promise to a child, 
Because they don't forget, do they? Or what happens if we forget Jesus? He says, do this in remembrance of me. That's a command that he has given us. And as we look at this feast in verses 14 through 16, did you notice what he said? With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. That's what we were just singing. I love your presence. He's saying, I've longed for it too. Fervently desiring to spend this moment with his friends. Fervently desiring not just to eat with them, not just to grab dinner. That's great. That's fun. But to eat this Passover. So in this meal, Jesus is specifically picking up on elements symbolism, and the history of the Passover meal. Now think about this. Jesus is eternal. So he has seen every Passover that has ever been celebrated. But Jesus is also God in the flesh. He lived on earth. He celebrated Passover with his family. And so he likely celebrated 20 or more Passovers himself. He probably celebrated at least two with these very men as they spent the last few years together. But he doesn't just say, hey, I'm looking forward to Passover. He says, I fervently desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, Passover historically was a meal given to remember a real event. But not just kind of vaguely like that there was this time that God helped us out and isn't he good. Yes, that's true. But God wanted them to remember the specifics of the event. And as Jesus comes to this moment... He and his followers, as they sit at this table, are thinking of the specific details of Passover because Jesus is about to show them what all of it has always meant. So the instructions for the Passover come out of the book of Exodus because it is directly tied to God bringing his people out of Egypt. And these are just a couple of excerpts from Exodus chapter 12 that I want you to see because the first thing that they would do, God asked them to get an unblemished lamb. And to sacrifice that lamb. He says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintels of the houses where they eat it. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, this is God speaking, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. He goes on in verse 14. To say that this day shall be to you a memorial, a remembrance. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this wasn't just a one-time event. Hey, isn't it great how God helped us today? Let's celebrate. You notice three key ingredients of the Passover. It's a memorial. Right? There's something to remember. It's a feast to the Lord, which how great is our God that he invites us to feasts? Like he's a God who loves to take us to a party. And it's everlasting. It's everlasting. Not a one-time thing, not a five-time thing, not do this until we actually get into the promised land. This is an everlasting ordinance. What I love about this is that when I read Exodus, I think, wow, that is so cool the way that God worked. Then I go to the New Testament, I read about Jesus, and I think, oh, he's he's like the lamb that was slain. That's so cool. Then you go back to Exodus, it's like, wait a minute. This isn't like a vague thematic connection. The Passover, the sacrifice of the lamb at the Passover, 
is reflected through every sacrifice that happens throughout the rest of the history of Israel until the moment that Jesus Christ fulfills it. When he sits down to this meal with his disciples, as Luke lays this before you today, it's not just to say Jesus was kind of like the Passover lamb. It's to say God specifically designed the details of the Passover as a shadow of the things to come as a shadow of who Jesus Christ would be. And so he gives it to them as a memorial that demonstrates proof that they have hope in the power and glory of God to deliver them, to redeem them, to bring them out. So they've got to remember. But sometimes the hard part is remembering, isn't it? In fact, one of the things that I've found so interesting as you read through the Psalms which, fun side note, Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament. And it has been said that you can find every major doctrine of the New Testament in the Psalms. And we'll see at the end of Luke how Jesus sits down to breakfast with his followers, and one of the things he tells them is he fulfills all the Psalms. So one thing that happens throughout the Psalms is they reflect on Egypt. When they write songs of thanksgiving, songs of praise, and songs of remembrance, as you flip those pages, there's constant mention of the almighty God who brought us out of Egypt. The God, our Savior, who rescued us from slavery in Egypt. Who brought us through the wilderness, into the promised land. And there's constant reminders. In fact, in Psalms 105 and 106, these are two of my favorites because of what happens when you put them back to back. Both of them are psalms of remembrance. And in Psalm 105, it does the same thing. It starts with Egypt and everything God did to bring them out and tells them, remember his marvelous works which he has done. And tells them that he remembers his covenant forever. So he asks us to remember, but it says God also remembers. And when they remember, it leads to blessing. When they remember, it leads to obedience. When they remember, it leads to joy in the presence of God. And so if you read Psalm 105, by the end of it, you were like pumped up and God, you are good. And I remember too. And then you turn to Psalm 106 and it starts the same way, like almost where 105 leaves off. How then he led them through the wilderness, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. God did things that had never been seen before, have never been seen since. And our fathers in Egypt did not remember. Did not remember? How do you forget something like that? Our fathers in Egypt did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. They soon forgot his works. Soon forgot, like really soon. These are the exact same people who had lived in slavery in Egypt, the exact same people who had killed a lamb and painted the door because they trusted that the final plague would not touch them, that God's wrath and judgment would pass over them if he saw the blood of the lamb. The same people who then walked through the Red Sea, get to the wilderness, and forget. Thank goodness we are not these people. Amen? knowing laughter, <laughs> right? So here's the reality of it for me. You know, even when we think about something like the Lord's Supper, well, I remember that we do it the first Sunday of every month. And when we sit down, oh yeah, I, re I remember his body broken, his bloodshed. Like I know, but sometimes functionally we forget. I'm sure if you quiz them by the sea, hey, who brought you out of Egypt? Well, God, but now we have nothing to eat. I, hold on a second. Who was it that led you in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud? Well, it was 
Yahweh, our Savior. But we got nothing to drink. Hold on a second. <laughs> right? We know, but do we remember? Because functionally, sometimes we forget. And if you notice this, as you go through the Old Testament, the times that things break the most is when we see his people complaining, rebelling, and on a regular basis, it starts with forgetting. Like maybe they know what's true, but they're just not thinking about it. And that just creates this space that begins to distance us from God. And so to me, really the first piece is we've got to remember to remember. And I know that's like, yeah, easy, easy to say that, right? But then I got to remember to remember to remember. <laughs> so I, our, our kids have chore charts because they can't remember all the things they're supposed to do in the morning. So wisely and in her kindness, my wife has made them chore charts. So all they have to do is remember to look at the chore chart and it'll just say, Put your clothes on, <laughs> eat breakfast, brush your teeth, you know, like not complicated, but hey, if you need a reminder. And so we've got one of our boys that has just been struggling with this lately. I'm like, dude, did you do your chore chart? Oh, dad, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> like that is the whole point of the chore chart is that you don't have to remember. It remembers for you all the things you're supposed to do. So he has now started making signs to put around the rest of the house that remind him to remember to look at his chore chart so he can remember what he's supposed to be doing. It's, is it this complicated? And yet sometimes it kind of is, isn't it? I mean, I have this on a regular basis where, you know, my wife has seen me journey through anxiety. And then I like learn things and God is good and I take hold of these verses and then I'll wake up one morning and be like, hey, yeah, babe, but what if? Hey, I think you're forgetting your verses and she'll just text me one of them. Sometimes you need that reminder. So as God builds in this meal to our lives and says, do this in remembrance of me, that's to help us remember to remember. Because you know what it was that they first complained about when they got into the wilderness? We got nothing to eat. We got nothing to drink. What is Jesus giving us at this meal? They complained for bread. Watch, watch this. In verse 17, Jesus says, he took the cup, gave thanks, said, divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then in verse 19, it says, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So God's people come into the wilderness, and they say, what are we supposed to eat? And if you know that event, if you know this history, God sends them manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And it is literally daily bread. Each day they would go out, they would gather what they needed for that day. If you got greedy and you said, just in case God doesn't show up tomorrow, I'm going to grab a little bit of extra, stuff it under my pillow. By morning, it is rancid. It is literally daily bread that they had to rely on God every single day because he is the bread giver. John talks about that a lot in his gospel, but Luke carries it forward too. If you remember back to chapter 9, in the feeding of the 5,000, very similar to the Lord's Supper. So last week, Ryan told us that Jesus said to his followers, go prepare for the meal. Then he brings them together, and it says, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. If you go back to Luke chapter 9, remember what he said? Hey, there's a big crowd here, you guys. Go prepare a meal. At that moment, they say, we can't. So they scrounge up five loaves, two fish, and same thing, it says. So he took the bread, gave thanks, 
broke it, and gave it to them. He performed a miracle that day because he is the bread giver. Two chapters later in Luke 11, when he taught them how to pray, he taught them to pray to their heavenly father for their daily bread. And I absolutely believe that that means that he cares about everything in our everyday and our physical needs. But I also think it's a reflection of Jesus himself. That when he says, this bread, this is a symbol of my body. I am your bread. I am the bread of life. I am the daily bread. You see, when we remember his body, we remember that he provides for us. We remember that incarnation in the flesh, God in human form, matters. Right? He didn't sit up in heaven and say, there's some problems down there, you know, snap, snap, whiz, whiz. He came here in the flesh to spend time with people. To give his body for people. So we've got to slow down and remember that. I mean, think about what that means for you. A few weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated 13 years of marriage. And normally you think like five years is a big deal, 10 years is a big deal. I mean, 12, I guess, a dozen, like donuts, that's a good thing, right? 13, baker's dozen, this is special. <laughs> it's not necessarily one of those like key ones that you think you got to do a big trip for or whatever. And we had a pretty low-key day, but it has become, I think, just this incredible memory for us already that is, I'm sure, going to last for years because we spent so much time together just remembering. Instead of being so busy with activity, it's like just sitting down together and thinking of all the things that God has taught us during our marriage in 13 years. All the things that have needed forgiveness, all the ways that he has blessed us, all the ways that he's been generous to us and taught us to be generous to others. Like if you want to know what happens when you, when you open your heart and willingness to the Spirit, we're, we're sitting at dinner thinking of all these places that people had been literally financially generous to us that helped us out in troubled times and praying, God, we want to do that too. And I kid you not, like after dinner, before we got to the car, dropped right in our laps an opportunity for generosity. And it's like, oh, like, like right now, Lord? <laughs> like, well, I, guess, I mean, I guess I'm ready. Like, I probably would have completely missed this if we hadn't literally just been praying about that. And another one in the car on the way home. Because what happens is, when you remember his incarnation, when you remember his body, that his was broken for you. That his was given for you. When you remember how he sacrificed for you, it makes you want to sacrifice for others. When you remember how he was generous to you, you want to be generous to others. When you remember he was patient with you, you become more patient with others. And I wonder as I think about this meal, you know, there's a piece that he asks them to be involved in. You know, he told them last week, go get the place ready, gather the stuff, make sure there's room. I think there's something in that for us. Like as you sit here today, who else? would you love to invite to this feast of forgiveness? Who else do you wish was at the table with you? And what might you be able to do to prepare the table? And that's a lot of what Horizon is here for. In fact, maybe that's all of it. 
Like that all of the services we do, the events we do, the groups that we do, the conversations that we have, the one-on-ones, a big part of that is that we're basically just trying to set the table for people to come, spend time, partake of Jesus, his body, his blood. You know, who might you literally invite? It may even be something as simple as um, a kaboom is coming up August 17th. Complimentary tickets in the foyer. (laughs) Is there somebody that's been on your heart that that could be the first easy invitation just to come to the table? Because it's not just his body either. He goes on in verse 20 to say, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So his body given and his blood shed. Now there's something interesting going on here. Because a couple of verses ago it says he took the cup, passed it out, divided it among yourselves, then he eats the bread, then after supper he takes the cup again. Now the reason for that is that as the Jewish people would celebrate Passover, they actually had four different cups. And those four cups were based on something that God said in Exodus 6. So still built together in this Egyptian symbolism as they came out of slavery. And the first cup was the cup of sanctification. Because God said, I am the Lord, I will bring you out. I will bring you out, I will set you apart, I will sanctify you. That's what that word literally means, to be set apart. And so that was the first cup that they would drink of remembrance at this meal. The second cup was known as the cup of plagues. Because God said, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will rescue you from their bondage. And he did that through ten plagues. And so this is the second cup of remembrance. The third cup of remembrance is the most important cup. This is the cup of redemption. Because God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great judgments, just as Jesus Christ on the cross, by shedding his blood, which the cup represents, would redeem us with outstretched arms. The fourth cup is the cup of praise, because God said, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. That is a picture of eternity with him. It's what the book of Revelation talks about. They will be my people. I will be their God. We will be together. Now, interestingly, there's no indication in the Gospels that Jesus and his disciples drank this final cup. In fact, often what they would do, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus came into the city, people were singing Psalm 113 through 118, that those were like the Passover Psalms. And just like Christmas songs for us, you don't start on Christmas Day. You start in July, right? Okay, we did. We had a Christmas song this morning. It was just, it was playing them alphabetically, sorry. (laughs) But you sing them for a whole season, right? Same thing. They'd be singing it all week. They'd sing it at every meal. They'd be singing it in the days to come. And one of the Gospels actually tells us that after they sang a hymn, which was probably Psalm 118, they went out. Now, in a normal Passover dinner, after you sing the hymn, you drink the cup of praise. But it may be that they didn't because Jesus said, I will not drink this cup again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. 
until redemption has been completed, until he has said it is finished, until his promise has been kept. But the third cup would be the cup that he's holding at this meal with his disciples. This is the cup that he says represents his blood. This is the cup that he held up and said, I am making a new covenant. But why does it need to be blood? Why did he have to give his body? Why did he have to shed his blood? Or or even in these next few verses, in 21 to 23, why do we need this whole bit with Judas? That someone's going to betray him. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with that at times where I feel like, if only... Like, they're all questioning, I wonder which one of us it is. Hey, how about the guy that keeps stealing money out of the pot? Let's start with him, right? And how about the guy that left dinner right after Jesus said this? Somebody follow him. Bring a club. Break a couple knees. Don't let him get to the Pharisees. Don't let him tell them where Jesus is going to be. And we could have avoided this whole thing. We would not have had a broken body. We would not have had shed blood. Poor Jesus wouldn't have to die, right? But remember, it says he gave his body. And in this verse, it says, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Judas did not ruin the plan. God allowed his rebellion to be part of the plan. That what Jesus is doing at this meal is saying there had to be a sacrifice. Because sin... Everything that we have done wrong, everything that is broken between us and other people, between us and God, within ourselves. You know, the description I love is is that it's everything that I don't live up to my own standard, let alone God's. Like if I can sit down and think, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, how much more God in his holiness and his perfection. And because he is holy, he must judge sin. But because he is love... He came and died and shed his blood. Leviticus 17.11 tells us that the life is in the blood and it is the blood that makes atonement for souls. Atonement. To be at one, atoned with God again. That's why the sacrifice had to happen. And I don't know about you, but as I think about that, some of what makes this difficult for me is that when we come to the Lord's table, it's important to examine our own hearts. Am I here because like, this is just like a thing I'm supposed to do? Or am I here because I remember Jesus? I remember what he's done for me. Am I here because somebody dragged me? Hey, that happens. Or do I really remember his love for me? That each of us has a body. I mean, I can feel my own flesh and bones. And Jesus was just as real as this. And he poured out real blood for you and for me. So as you remember that, sometimes I think it turns into a remembrance of guilt. Or a remembrance of regret. And it may be that that is the Spirit's conviction because there's something between you and God that you need to say, actually, God, I know this thing has been out of line and I want to repent of that. I want to turn that over to you and I want to release it. Because then when we come to this table, when we come to the third cup, when we come to 
this cup and this bread. This is not a feast of guilt. This is not a feast of remembering everything that you did wrong. It's a feast of forgiveness, of remembrance, of the redemption of the one who cleanses you, whose blood covers over all sins. That God doesn't say it's if you see the blood. He doesn't say it's if you feel like the blood did its job. It's not when you peek the door open to make sure the angel really is passing over. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And you know what I want you to do? Remember. Remember that. And one of the most helpful things a friend of mine told me once is that when you realize the depth of your sin, because that has to happen. You know, there's got to be a moment that I realize my sin is not just kind of like not that bad or hey, we all make mistakes. But when I get past that, I get past comparing you and me. Like, hey, at least I don't do like those things other people do. I mean, that guy's like really messed up. Or, well, I'm way worse than these other people. How could I possibly be forgiven? I mean, I bet they've never done what I've done. When I get past all of that and I just recognize it's me, it's God, it's my sin between us. When you realize the depth of your sin, then you realize the depth of God's love. That he forgives that too. Even the things that you've forgotten, sometimes that's a blessing. That when we come to Christ and say, I trust you as my forgiver, then it is sealed by his body and his blood. That's why in that verse 20, when he says to remember his blood, he says it's a new covenant, a new testament, a new promise. And he keeps his promise. And if you have trusted that promise, you get to remember. That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. Because there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness. That's why it's a celebration. That's why it's a party. That's why it's a feast of forgiveness. And we have a chance to do that today. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as the band plays a final song, I would invite you to this. It may be that as you sit here, maybe you've even experienced this before, but you wonder if you've ever really taken that in. To trust Jesus as forgiver. Not just to do this as a routine because guess what? This is just bread and this is just a cup and this does not save me. It reminds me of the one who does. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure that you have that relationship or you have that trust, then maybe today you just want to remember the things that we've looked at in the last half hour and ask him to be your forgiver in your own heart, in this time, to even just say, Jesus, I need a forgiver, and I trust you to be my forgiver. And if you make that commitment, or if you've made that commitment before, then I would invite you to share this with us. Because maybe for you, there's some way that the enemy has been accusing you, reminding you of past guilt, something that God has healed you from, and you need to remember his forgiveness. Eucharist, give thanks to him 
for his body given and his blood shed. Maybe today, like it was for us at our anniversary, is a moment for you just to remember some of the blessings that God has done in your life. And not just the big things like, yeah, he's always taking care of me, but the details. Oh, yeah. Specifically on that date. Maybe you even just go back and read your journal from last year. My wife and I were doing that this week because yesterday was the day we finally closed on a house after 10 months of searching and 10 months of learning about trust. You flip that journal open and you remember. And you remember that it's not about a house here because he's gone to prepare a place for you in heaven because he gave his body and shed his blood. So as the band plays, maybe you sing a hymn like he and his followers did at this meal. Maybe you just sit and listen. Maybe you just sit and remember. We're going to do this a little bit differently than usual. So before you sit, you'll need to stand. Because we're each going to come forward, take the cup, take the bread, and you'll be dismissed by rows. So if our communion servers would come forward, the easiest thing is going to be if you go out one end, circle back, and go in the other end. Take the cup and the bread with you and hold on to it until the end of the song because we want to do this together in remembrance of him. So would you remember him now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together? Heavenly Father, our God, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, thank you. Thank you, God, for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this feast, for his body, for his blood, for your love. Amen. This bread is his body given for you. Do this in remembrance of him. This cup is the new covenant in his blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of him. Thanks for the reminder, God. We remember you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. I thank you for remembering together with us today. As you go, remember his body and his blood as you go. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.